From the EPR Creation Studio, this is Jason Staples bringing you the Unconquered Podcast. As always, this show brought to you by EPR Creations. EPR Creations partners with small businesses for website development and online strategy planning. If you have any need for an improved internet presence or want to improve your marketing, call EPR Creations. Let them know you heard about them from the Unconquered Podcast. All right, so a couple things. One is, uh, as you can tell probably from my voice, been a little bit sick. I've uh, been delayed on a couple things. I uh, have not gotten that uh, question and answer podcast out. We'll get that actually, uh, we'll get that out this weekend. Uh, this weekend, I'm actually finally going to get the chance to get a lot of these, get to a lot of these projects that I've wanted to do over on the uh, Patreon site. And basically just going to gonna be able to catch up here with a good bit of pre-spring material, including uh, evaluations of all the players in the Florida State class. I'm actually uh, going to be changing my ranking system or my 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 uh my rating system slightly where this this class sort of forces that to some degree uh because when you're dealing with a bunch of top five classes you can kind of differentiate on the basis of early impact or late impact kind of how that how how, whether this player is going to be a difference maker or whatnot but um what i'm basically going to do is i'm going to go to uh talking about high ceiling versus low floor High, high floor versus low ceiling and, and sort of mixing together categories that way because when you're dealing with a little bit lower ranked classes and, and a more uh, gap between the top and bottom recruits and all of that, uh, it's worth uh, re- restructuring that. So I'm going to be doing that as well and then we'll, uh, we'll, we'll address that in, the, uh, in, in a future show. But like I said, the, my old system is uh, not granular enough to deal with basically classes that are in the twenties range instead of in the, you know, fives and, you know, top, top end of, of things. In any case, uh, all that said, we're going to go ahead and get to evaluating a little bit, talking about who Florida state landed in this class and, and, uh, the characteristics of what they got in the second group. And, you know, we should preface this by saying, look, this is a transition class. It's the second transition class in three years. And that makes things really difficult. I mean, this is where, you know, Mike Norvell has his work cut out for him. It's a much harder situation now than it was for Willie Taggart coming in in, uh, in 2018. And, you know, that's just, that is what it is. And, and you can't expect, basically, I mean, this, this class finished in the low 20s uh, on, in the composite. And you can't expect this class to be uh, an elite class, given, given sort of where Florida State is. The question is, can you pick up enough guys that can that can play that eventually, you know, and again, you hate to say it this way, but you're hoping to recruit over a lot of these guys in the next class. But can you get guys that you feel like you can develop rather than these guys being basically dead space on the roster? And you have to fill out what you need to for depth with guys with potential. You need a few high floor guys that can uh, can help uh, establish long term depth. But bottom line, you're not going to get the same kind of splash that you're going to get, hopefully, with your second and third classes on campus. I mean, that's just the reality of it in the early signing period. Now, all that said, one of the things that stood out to me about this class, just looking at it in general, and we'll, we'll wrap up a little bit later talking about some of this as well, is the approach that Norvell and the staff took in going after this class. First of all, they were very realistic about the players, about the level of players that they could that they could could land, but there are a few different avenues that you can take once you get to that point. 
in terms of how you evaluate. And to me, it appears that with a couple exceptions, when you're looking at the JUCOs and the, the grad transfer type players, those they're, they're taking high floor guys. But with a lot of the guys that they took in this class, especially in this late group, they're, they're basically going for, uh, for high, very, very high ceiling players. And they're going for guys that, you know, their floors are lower, but they went for traits. They're looking at, they're looking at traits. Does this guy have the physical tools to potentially turn into something that, that could be special? And, you know, they're, they're, you're, they're looking at guys that were track guys. And even the guys that some of the guys that they evaluated and didn't end up offering, you look at uh, one of the defensive ends that they brought in, but ended up not offering Gilbert Edmund, uh, was a guy who's a two-star prospect, but if you looked at why they were interested in him, you had to look at the at the uh, at, at the track times. You realize, oh, they found a big-bodied kid that doesn't have a whole lot of attention, but has some really interesting track numbers. That's how he got on their radar. Same thing with a guy like Corey Wren. You know, he obviously was on more uh, on the radar much more. Wound up getting a four-star bump here at the end, but. What are you trying to do with him? You're getting a kid that is a elite level high school sprinter. You 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 know that speed translates. They they signed two kids that were they were they were hurt as seniors, and obviously that's going to impact your stock. Are you going to be uh, are you going to be as uh, as highly recruited when you're when you're hurt and when you're coming off injury and teams are not quite as certain that you're ever going to be you're ever going to recover to be the player that you were before injury. So, you know, that those guys wound up dropping off the radar guys that were, you know, on the uh, on a number of SEC teams boards that wound up mm, maybe not getting those offers or got those offers late, but were on the boards and in some cases high up on those boards before injury. And then what do you do? You sign those guys. And if they develop, if they if they heal up from injury and recover properly and everything else, then maybe maybe you got yourself a steal. Maybe you got yourself a kid that would have been a four star had he not gotten hurt as a senior. And two of those, so Darian Williamson and Sidney Williams. You've got uh, you've got Marquiston Douglas, the the tight end, totally new to the sport. Basically, he's played one year and is really a basketball player, but but has all of the traits, all the tools that you would want. Multiple sport athletes, guys like Lundy, who's a wrestler. So what they're doing here is they're getting guys that maybe they they, they specifically targeted guys that may be underrated. Because of, uh, you know, in terms of their in terms of their ceiling, because of being multiple sport guys, not being at camps as much. You look at you know Robert Scott, the offensive tackle, not a camp kid, and then you're looking at uh, you're looking at other guys that were like I said, track guys and and other things that have the traits, but maybe are more raw. And that's really what you've got in in this, especially in this second group. You've got a you've got a group that is more raw, but a lot of these guys have traits and that seems to be how they went about this. And that, that by the way, is the, the approach that Art Bryles and that group took at, at Baylor. A number of teams have done this in the past guys that if you can't recruit against the Alabamas of this world, find the track kids, find the guys with the traits that are raw that maybe you can coach up. And then by the time those kids are second, third year players, well, you know, he still runs a 10, four and your guy runs a 10, six. Well, my guys now learned how to play. And now, now you can't, now you can't run him down. So that's really that appears to be what they did in this class, and and it, and it's a it makes sense as an approach, it makes a lot of sense. So let's get into it in terms of the uh, of the overall 
position by position. I'm going to go pretty fast here. I don't want to uh, belabor this point because I'm actually going to do you know a little bit of uh, a little bit of film analysis of each of these players on Patreon. But uh, we're gonna we're gonna go ahead and and just do a little bit of a summary here, and then uh, a few Q and A's, a few updates before uh, the the full Q and A episode next episode. So. First off, uh, the Juco transfer, LaDamian Webb, 5'8", 190. He's a bowling ball. And actually, you know, I've, I've struggled to try to find a good comp for him because uh, he's he's really a he's a low to the ground, really high balance runner, good vision, good but not elite speed. I think, it, you know, if, if they're being honest, he's probably like a 4'5", five, 5'5", five type runner. Uh, but, you know, basically is going to be, he's going to hide behind the line use vision and then uh, and then and burst to to get to get yardage. There's a little bit of Troy Davis in him if you want to go way back to the 90s. Another that you could kind of compare stylistically would be JK Dobbins. Dobbins has a lot more lateral explosiveness. Uh, you know, he's he's one of those guys that that can kind of jump sideways while he's running and and I don't see that but in terms of build and, and difficulty of getting a guy to the ground who's a smaller, shorter back, it's it's something like that. Uh, I think he'd probably do well to add another five, ten pounds at five eight one ninety. He, he you know maybe one ninety five two hundred would be a little bit better. But again, you don't want to cost that speed. It'll be interesting to see how he fits. I mean, I think he's a he's going to be one of those guys they're going to lean on especially early given his experience in JUCO. But he's not an elite prospect. He's not, he's a guy that you're hoping one of the others that you're bringing in. He's, he's a guy that you're hoping to use as change of pace while one of these other guys turns into more of a, uh, of a playmaker. Another running back that they brought in is Corey Wren. You, you see him listed, I think by most recruiting sites as more of a slot receiver, five, nine, 180. Uh, but they're bringing him in really to play the four back. Maybe he winds up doing some three back stuff, uh, just again, in, in, in parlance there, uh, Norvell system, like Gus Malzahn system numbers, the skill position players. So the four back is what most teams would call the running back or the, uh, or the F in some cases, uh, sometimes they would call it the, the Ted or the T, but it's the four back for them, the running back position. They're bringing Ren in to play that position. Now the three and the four positions both of those positions often wind up lining up in the backfield. The three ends up lining up in the slot a little bit more. The four sometimes does it. There's a lot of flexibility built into Norvell's system and how he does a lot of this stuff. And Wren really will, I think they're bringing him in to do a lot of all of that. But I think really they're they're looking at him more as a as a running back than anything else. And the reason that they're bringing him in is they want to be able to hand the football to a guy that runs a 10-4. They want to be able to get that guy in the backfield and basically give him a chance. You give you give a guy that runs a 10-4 or better, and, and Ren is insistent that he thinks he can run, you know, in the 10-2 range this year as a senior, which I mean that puts you in Kermit Whitfield territory. And we all saw what you know Kermit Whitfield did at Florida State. You put a guy like Kermit Whitfield, put another 20 pounds on a guy and have him running basically that comparable, comparable speed. Well, you can figure out what that looks like in a in a backfield if you give him a crease. And that's really what they're going to try to do with him. He's he's also going to have a big influence. I think he's going to be an immediate contributor uh, uh, as a kick returner. Odds are they're going to try to get him him back on kick returns in uh, in in year 1. When you've got a guy that's that fast, 
you you go ahead and you give him a look. And and again, I think that uh, that that speed, he's about 180 pounds. You want to maybe add just a little bit, but you don't want to add enough that you cost him his speed. He becomes a guy that you you get, you know, 10, 12 carries a game and you're trying to get, say, two of those carries to make it count. I mean, he had 98 carries for over a thousand yards in, in high school. That's that's saying something. 98 carries for I think he had 20 touchdowns on, the, on those 98 carries. So and that's in Louisiana and that, that, that kid can play. Uh, one of the best re- recruits in this cl- in this class, a guy that Georgia actually was on, and then I'm not sure why they dropped him, uh, but ultimately they parted ways, and then uh, and then Florida State uh, gets the benefit of that. But again, you're looking at a player that major SEC schools were interested in, and ultimately Georgia wanted for a while, and then you know you're 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 getting a player that that can compete at the at the highest level of college football. There, a guy that that I think Florida State fans should be excited about. Now, the third. Offensive prospect that we're going to look at, Darian Williamson. He's a 6'3", 180-pound wide receiver. And really, this wound up being kind of an exchange with Tennessee because Tennessee wound up getting Malachi Weidman and uh, and, and Florida State wound up getting Darian Williamson. Williamson was con- committed initially to, uh, to Tennessee. And then, of course, Weidman was the top-rated commit aside from DeMoria Tate. Uh, he was the top-ranked commit that Florida State had on their uh, in their class, a top ranked offensive recruit that they had in their class. And ultimately uh, they, they, you know, Tennessee gets the higher ranked uh, player and Florida state takes the one that was lower ranked. Here's the interesting question. I'm not a hundred percent sure. You know, if I was going to bet on which player winds up having the better college career, I think it's closer than you'd expect. Uh, Weidman is the more talented athlete. I mean, he's, he's one of those guys that, you talk to people who've seen him live in the state of Florida and they talk about him as a, you know, he's, he's special uh, and, you know, can jump out of the gym, dual sport athlete, really good basketball player. Weidman though is, is more raw. I mean, when I, when I actually watched him on film, he's more raw as a, as a, as a prospect than I expected. And then secondly, he's more of a, uh, he's more of a vertical type player. You know, he's not going to run by you. He's more of a four five, maybe even, you know, four, six guy, in terms of what he brings to the table in terms of vertical speed. So that, that surprised me a little bit given what I'd heard about him when I actually watched him. Uh, and so, and then there's also the question of, of, quali- of, of whether he'll qualify, but you know, you probably bet on Weidman to be the guy that, that, you know, he's got the higher ceiling for sure. But in terms of who's actually going to, going to hit their ceiling, I, I think Williamson's an interesting prospect. I mean, he, he also six three one eighty, very fluid player. I mean, th- that's the thing that screams off his tape is he is a very fluid receiver, long arms, huge hands, naturally catches with his hands. Uh, he actually reminds me of Willie Halstead, sort of a natural number two receiver with good speed, good burst. Not not he doesn't have the the turbo button that you would expect that that you would expect from a top recruit of his uh, of his size, but he does have that physicality and just sort of the raw. Uh, athleticism that you would want from somebody that can be a good receiver at this level, particularly as a number two, you know, outside receiver. And and he's a guy that, again, he played both ways in high school. I mean, you see in, in his, in his high school stuff, he's playing defensive end outside linebacker at times. I mean, he's a physical guy. So again, you're looking at, you'd probably prefer to get Weidman in this class, but all things being equal, Williamson is a pretty good consolation prize there and gives you someone with, a, I think, a higher ceiling than, than you might normally get from a kid 
ranked in the in, in the range that he is, and probably has a higher floor too. I, I think you know somebody that can that that certainly belongs athletically at a place like Florida State. And so to get a kid like that at this stage of, of the game is is saying something. And also, again, you're looking at the reason, one of the reasons that he's ranked where he is is because he missed a good portion of his senior year with injury. So probably underrated. If, if you're getting a guy that, if he completely recovers from that injury, probably ends up being an underrated pickup and somebody that can contribute for you down the line. And then, of course, his teammate is Marquiston. Uh, I don't know if you'd say Marquiston um, uh, Douglas, but Douglas is a 6'5", he's about 255, 260 pounds, jumbo athlete and he is he is new to the uh to to the sport but he and and is super raw i mean you can see that he doesn't he looks like he's not quite sure even how to put the pads on and a bit lumbering at times on on the field but man is he a terrific athlete the athleticism just screams at you when you put on his uh his high school stuff I mean, he hands are excellent. Some of the one-handed stuff that he's doing catching the football at tight end is something. And then beyond that, you know, you're looking at there is the real possibility that he grows into a left tackle or a right tackle. I mean, at 255 pounds, 260 pounds, this guy has a huge wingspan. I mean, he's really long basketball player type. And, you you know, you got to think, I mean, is it possible that you get to the college college level at 260 is it possible that he finishes year one at 275, 280? At which point you you start to strongly consider moving him a, a kid with that kind of that kind of feet, that kind of natural athleticism outside. So it gives you some options. It's a guy that has the potential to play multiple positions and you know long term could be a really good option at that tackle position. So yeah, that's I think he's he's one of those guys that at the end of at the end of the day one of the highest ceilings in this class. Cause he's one of those guys that you could look at and go, man, he wasn't even ranked until the last couple weeks of the cycle and winds up getting drafted as a first rounder at offensive tackle. Just one of those developmental guys that you just don't know where he's going to wind up. You could also find out that he doesn't really pick up the game. Doesn't get the physicality or the, you know, doesn't learn to play low. I mean, basketball players have to learn to play low instead of high. Doesn't learn to do that and winds up being, you know, just a body possible. But the range on on this guy between the upside and the and the downside is uh, is is really high. And and again, if you're going to do this as you know as a transitional class, you're trying to bet on this kind of kid. That if you believe in his work ethic, and and it turns out that you know, Norvell mentioned he played college ball with with the high school coach of the with one of the high school coaches of of these two players, that gives you a sense of he knows what he's getting here. And at that point, you say, you know. You bet on the you bet on the on the on the rare athlete to maybe put it together year two year three on campus, and you know really I think Mark I, I think Douglas is really a year three guy. You're hoping that by year three he's something uh, something special. Finally, on the offensive side, they brought in Robert Scott, and uh, and he's also a really intriguing player. Uh, he's a guy that you look at his junior tape, and he's probably two sixty two sixty five. 6'5", 265, maybe. And then you look at a senior tape, and he's probably 40 pounds heavier. I mean, he's listed as, as 305 now. And, you know, it's probably put on close to 40 pounds between junior and senior year. And you look at, it, you look at him, and all the tools are there. All of the things that you want to look for at, at, at the offensive tackle spot are there. I mean, he's got really good length. 
probably, you know, I'm not sure if six, five is accurate or not, but his, his wingspan is probably closer to seven feet has, you know, naturally can bend at the hips needs to get a little bit better with his knee bend. That's something they're going to have to work with him on a lot in the off season. And as he gets into the program, but he's got very good natural feet and, you know, he's, he's going to be, he's going to be a player that has a chance to, again, he's, he's one of those guys that you've got to take multiple guys to be, to, to get it to work out at offensive line. And that's one of the things that Florida state's just not done enough of is taking offensive tackle guys or guys that could grow into office and offensive tackles, guys that have the athleticism to be at that position, to hold up on the edge and then hope that they develop and work on developing those guys. And they've not taken enough of them and they've done a really poor job of developing them over the years. And that's where you wind up, how you wind up where they're at. But this is a guy that has all of the tools to develop into a, a, a legit NFL type prospect at tackle. Again, you don't know whether he's going to do it or not, but again, all you can do at this position, you have to, you have to find guys that have that potential, throw enough numbers at it. And eventually you'll get, you'll get some that'll work. And really that's what you've got here. And, and, uh, I think he's less raw than Lloyd Willis, maybe not quite as athletic as Willis. Uh, and if Willis works out at, at, at the tackle position, maybe you've got your bookends right there, long, you know, two, three years down the line. Not a guy that you necessarily want to play right away. I don't think he's an instant impact guy. If he is an instant impact guy, then you, you go with it. It probably means that you just needed that much help because there's nobody on campus. But, you know, best case scenario is that you find somebody else that can can do the job for you on campus this year and then really let him and Willis and and uh, and Douglas develop in that first year and see what you can get out of him year two, year three. Now, before we move on to the defensive side of the ball, I want to thank my second sponsor. That's Lewis Marquez of Keller Williams Realty in Jacksonville. Lewis is not just a realtor. He's a trained photographer and videographer which is especially important now that about 90% of home buyers search online first. So you better have an, a successful online marketing plan, including the best possible photos and videos to showcase your home and get it sold quickly for the best possible price. Well, the thing is, Lewis is the guy to do that. Nobody's going to make your house look better, including drone footage, professional walkthrough video, all of that. If you're in Jacksonville and you're thinking about listing your house, or if you've got a friend who's thinking about listing the house, uh, their house, give Lewis a call or email him. All that information's in the show notes. Mention you heard about him through this podcast. Help me out a bunch. And also, if you're in the market or a friend is in the market to buy a home in the greater Jacksonville area, nobody's going to outwork him. Give Lewis a call. Let him know you heard about him from the Unconquered podcast. All right. So on the defensive side of the ball, they signed three prospects. And I like all three of them. There's one in particular I really like. But uh, I like all three of them. One of them is DJ Lundy, 6'1", about 240 pounds. And you can see that weight's real. Uh, he's a high school wrestler, heavyweight wrestler, over 100 wins in high school as a wrestler. So that tells you he 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 knows how to work. He knows uh, he's a physical guy. Uh, that's saying something. Uh, knows how to get people on the ground, which is what you want at, at the linebacker position. Now, he was mostly a running back in, in, in high school, which actually, I mean, this is one of one of the secrets, by the way, of Butch Davis as a uh, as an as an evaluator of uh, of linebackers. Butch Davis has long said that one of his secrets for finding top linebackers is find guys who played running back in high school, find guy. He wants to get guys that were both good enough athletes to be their running back in high school. And also when you are a running back, you learn how to, how you, you have to, you have to have vision. You have to learn where that seems coming and all of that. And he was just of the belief that you gain that kind of, um, you gain that level of, uh, of feel for, 
holes and for for finding the seams and all of that. And then when you transfer to the linebacker position, that that basically allows you to have those instincts much more naturally. So that's something that I think Lundy that 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 speaks well of where he might go there. He's more of a thick kid. He's a, a, you know definitely a thumper, more of a two down backer. I don't think he's a sideline to sideline guy. He didn't strike me as especially fast. And I think there's some concern he may outgrow the position because when you're wrestling, you're obviously you know dealing with weight stuff, and then all of a sudden you you stop doing that, and uh, you're 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 in a high a college uh, environment where you're going to typically gain some weight. Is this a guy that's going to wind up being 260, 270 pounds? I I don't know. Uh, it'll be interesting to see sort of where he winds up positionally in that regard. It's possible that he could outgrow linebacker, but if he does stay at linebacker, I think you're looking basically at a two down type backer who fits at that mic position and, and can give you a thumper uh, somebody that, that moves well enough, but basically is, is more of a run stopper and, and is a very physical guy. So overall positive, I think in some, some sense, he's a, a better prospect than one of the two backers that they signed earlier in the, uh, in, in the, in the early signing period. And, you know, he'll, he's going to belong on campus athletically. He, he's and and you want, high school wrestlers. You want those guys that know how to work on your team. So that's a plus. Then you got Sidney Williams, the safety. Uh, when, I, when I watched him, I, I saw a very strong physical player with good length. I, I, the comparison to me is Cyrus Fagan. To me, he, he projects kind of as a buck safety, that, that boundary safety position who's not going to be in one-on-one coverage as much. But he does show the ability to, to play some one-on-one coverage, to line up at the corner position and, and, and do some of that even though that's not so natural for him, but you know, he, he, he shows the ability to do it. And, but to me, again, he's, he's one of those really physical guys. Uh, he's an Alabama safety in a lot of ways. What, what Alabama has put on the field for some years, not necessarily a four, four guy, but a guy that is going to be athletic enough and physical enough to, uh, to, to again, belong on campus. He's not one of those guys that you sign and you go, Oh man, you know, I just, I don't see it. There were a few of those down the, down the line, down the stretch for Florida State the last few years, uh, especially at the safety position. And I think athletically, Williams is a guy that, that fits well enough that if he's on the field, you're not going to feel like, man, I can't believe, you know, that guy was signed to be a backup and he's on the field. Again, you're hoping to recruit over all these guys long term, but this is a guy that I think has the athleticism, again, was injured actually in both his junior and senior year, I believe. Uh, at different points and, uh, and, and ultimately projects potentially to have a higher ceiling than what uh, he wound up with because of those injuries. Finally, this is a player that out of all these guys, I might be the most excited about in terms of what he brings to the table right away. And that's TJ Davis. This is, he's, he's about six, three, 250 pounds, defensive end fits their, their Fox position. Their, uh, their, rush end position in their their four down look and to me he's the best true rush end prospect they've signed in two or three years Uh, i think he's a better prospect than xavier peters was and you know doesn't have the baggage that peters did he he flew under the radar for longer than he should have i'll just say that he's got a thick lower half he's physical shows a mean streak what I like most about him, though, is the range. You can see that the kid can really run and shows the traits to bend. He doesn't know how to bend at this point. 
He's going to totally need to learn to run the hoop and how to how to lower his hips and and to uh, compress the pocket from the edge. I mean, he is super raw, much more of an athlete than a defensive end right now. But the traits are all there to be a really good defensive lineman. And I think he's a very high ceiling player. Now, there's some question. I mean, at 250 pounds already, I mean, could this guy grow into a three technique? I think there's some some question there. Now, ideally, you'd like a three technique or even, I mean, at 6'3", he's a little bit on, on, the, on the shorter side than what you would like ideally. But, and the same thing for a three technique, but, you know, you wonder sort of where he winds up there. But he's actually, he gives them an explosive, twitchy player on the edge that they've not had and really don't have on the roster once you get past really Janarius Robinson and, and Josh Kando. I mean, he really, the guy that he compares probably most to is Janarius Robinson, but he's a little bit, a little bit more flexible, a little more bendy than Robinson is. Robinson's always been just a little stiffer. I think he, I think Robinson's also just a little bit more thickly built naturally, but he's that kind of prospect that, Again, if you if you get a Janarius Robinson level level play out of Davis the next next three four years, you're doing cart you're doing cartwheels you're doing backflips over getting this kid that late in the process, and I think that's really where he kind of projects. So the question is how early can he help because he's so raw. I mean, Papuchis is going to have his his work cut out to to coach him up, but. I, again, they, they, I think they did a great job of evaluating and, and recruiting a kid that actually has a chance to play isn't just going to be a body at that position or isn't likely to be a body. A few final things before we wrap this, this show. I did find it interesting that Norvell talked about his uh, recruiting pitch and how his, his recruiting pitch is not, uh, not exactly what you would necessarily uh, recommend to every coach. He says, look, and our recruiting pitches, uh, there are 129 other programs you can go to that'll be a heck of a lot easier than this one. This one's going to be about work. And he, he doesn't, he says he's going to be honest with kids about, you know, we're not going to blow smoke up your butt. We're going to, we're going to let this be a, uh, uh, be, th- this is going to be a place where you're going to have to come and work your tail off. And this is not always going to be a pleasant place to be. And, and he believes and the staff believes that by doing that with players, they're, more likely to get players that actually want to buy into that to begin with that, you know, by not selling hype and, and, uh, and swag and all of that up front that they they're getting, they're going to get guys that know what they're signing up for. And therefore they feel like they're going to have a lesser rate of attrition with this kind of, with this kind of class than, than what you would get otherwise, because again, they're, they're being upfront about how they're going to work these kids. And that may or may not be true. I don't know. I do know that I was told that they go so far as to uh, as, as to do as to make bad play tapes of the of the players that are going to visit officially, and then they sit down in the film room and they say, "Look, you know, we we were looking at your uh, at your high school stuff, and you know this 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 play this is not good. Here's here this is low effort. We can't have that here. And this is something that you know you're going to have to improve on this. Or oh, this technique here." This is where we can help you because this right here, this isn't very good. This is a bad play and you need to, you need to improve this. And this is how we would help you. This is one of the drills that we would have to, to help with this. That's <laughs> not everybody's going to come in and do that and, and, and basically have kids sit in the film room and watch their lowlights. But this staff, from what I'm told, that's one of the things they do. 
And that also tells you how the, how this player is going to respond to coaching. How's he going to respond when I rip into him once he gets here to let him know that this is not an acceptable level of effort or that this is, that this technique isn't good enough. Well, he should know. And I, he should know it was coming because I did it with him on his official visit. He gets a, he gets a little experience of what it's like to be coached by me. And then I get to see how he might respond to that. That's actually pretty smart. I, I think, I, you know, you got to give him credit for, uh, for, for taking that approach. Cause it, it's a, it's a, it's an approach that you're going to lose some kids. You're going to lose some guys that maybe aren't, they're going to be turned off by well, you're, you're supposed to be recruiting me and you're telling me where I'm not very good. But for the kind of kids that, that you want, maybe that is exactly the right way to get them get them in there. So got to give them credit for thinking through that. All right, a few final updates. A few final updates. Now, before that, I'm going to thank my third sponsor. That is, uh, that is Garage Makeovers. They're the top-rated garage remodeling company in South Florida, according to Home, a- Home Advisor and Angie's List. If you need any garage work done, and this is the time, to, time of year to do it, if you need any, any type of garage work done, Give them a call. Let them know you heard about it from the Unconquered Podcast. All right, final stuff. Tour of Duty has been going on uh, on Fridays up to now. They've been bringing back mat drills, essentially, uh, for that. And it's a little different in terms of how, how they did it. From what I'm told, it's a little different from how they did th- they're doing it now than obviously what they did when I was there. But it's, you know, it's, it's no picnic. And when guys are, uh, uh, when, they're, when the effort is not, what, what it needs to be when the technique is not what it needs to be. These guys are having to do some extra work. I mean, that, that's all the sorts of things that, that need to be done for this program to, to get where it is. And from what, from what I'm told, the buy-in appears to be there. These players, a lot of these players, especially the, the old Jimbo guys, they were skeptical about, about Willie from the start. The buy-in for, for Norvell and his staff appears to be there right away. Now, they still, there's still a long, long way to go. But it does appear that they've found uh, found a way to found ways to get these players to buy in and to put in the work that's going to be necessary to uh, to take some steps forward in the in the near future. So and to earn their trust. And and, and for those of you, most of you have probably seen the videos that have been coming out from storms in the uh, in the weight room sessions, and you can already see some of the differences. I mean, one of the things that that sticks out right away is how. Storms actually one of his one of his uh, trademarks is having every platform, every group going at the same time. So instead of you're just working kind of at your own pace through that, it's on a clock. So you'll see you'll you'll if you pay attention to those videos, you'll hear go because the job what, what your responsibility is is your responsibility is to rack the weight, get changed, and then. Everybody, everybody starts the set at the same time and every rep is supposed to go on that go, which you're, you're working specific tempo. You're working, you're working a, uh, a teamwork angle of this. And you're also ensuring that there's some level of uh, uniformity across the group in terms of how they're working, uh, as well as you're working, they're actually working on the same cadence as, uh, as, as what they're, uh, what they're expecting to use once they actually get out on the field, which is, which is saying something. All right. Well, I'm going to go ahead and wrap there before I go. I want to thank those sponsors over at Patreon above the bleach numbers level. That's Keith Cheney, Casey kid, Chris Chartrand, Andrew Garrett, Brian Leninger, Travis Smith, Vince Calandra, Burt Bertoldi, 
And of course, make sure to catch our next podcast, which is going to be that Q&A podcast. I'm going to be recording that shortly and then releasing that after this one. And also check over Patreon. I'm going to have a lot of updates over there very soon because uh, I've just been behind on that. Apologies for that, but it's coming. Thanks, as always, to the three sponsors. That is EPR Creations, Luis Marquez, and Garage Makeovers. This has been the Unconquered Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Staples. Thanks for listening. I made this.